Boy, that escalated quickly. After Tom Wilson chose violence on Monday and the league dropped the ball by not suspending him, Jim Dolan chose his own form of violence in a stunning move Wednesday afternoon. He fired GM Jeff Gordon and team president John Davidson. We'll talk about the shocking move with the man that broke the story, our own Larry Brooks, and we react to Wilson's shenanigans with a Rangers enforcer from the past. It's fan favorite Nick Fatiu. So buckle up and drop the gloves next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Is there? I don't think there's much to talk about today, guys. I don't think there's anything major in the news. Nothing's happened with the Rangers. Well, the guy who did break the big story this week, Larry Brooks, is going to join us. We'll also be joined by the enforcer, a fan favorite, Nick Fotiu. Now, your stars of the show. It's the New York Post own Molly Walker and Rangers great number 10, Ron Duguay. Yeah, hi, Jake. Hi, Ranger fans. Yes, we have much to talk about today. Last night, the Rangers played their last game at Madison Square Garden, and what a game. They went out with a bang. They didn't go out with a win, but it was a bang. It was a statement after what went on with the Rangers playing Washington and Washington with the incident with Wilson, Tom Wilson. Things got heated up. All of us were anticipating something, but we didn't know what to expect. And so all of this we're going to discuss today with a good friend of mine, Nick Fotiu. As I know, Nick is watching every game, and I know Nick would have loved to have been in that game to settle things his way. And so these are all things we're going to talk about. And of course, in the news, the big news is the firing of J.D. and Gordon. They're out. Jury comes in. Also, Glenn Sather is back. Going to help Chris in moving this team forward. But it's the statement from Jim Dolan, which to me was not expected. I thought when you think about the Rangers, they're heading in the right direction. But obviously, Mr. Dolan didn't like things, and he wanted to make some changes. All of that coming up with Larry Brooks. But right now, my co-host, Molly Walker. Molly, you wake up this morning, and you're thinking, wow, what just happened? It was quite the 24 hours, Ron, truly. I think Rangers fans, myself included, Larry, not so much because he's an insider. He understands how things are going that we all don't. But it was pretty much a shock to the outside world that JD and Jeff Gordon are no longer employed by the New York Rangers. Given the fact that Jeff Gordon has really spearheaded this rebuild and with a lot of help from Chris Drury, and that's why he will be remaining on the team and we'll get a little bit more into that going forward. But Gordon really spearheaded this rebuild. He did the draft. He he did all the moves and, and a lot of people were happy with the, with the way that things are going right now. And JD obviously is a beloved former Ranger and just is one of the most respected people in the league. So just the news was, was really caught people off guard. But that being said, Larry, will talk about it a little bit more with us more in depth, but I can tell you that this was being mulled over by Jim Dolan for quite some time. There was a disconnect between Dolan 
and the Gorton JD ticket that they had just had a difference in philosophy of where the rebuild is currently at. Dolan is ready to wrap it up. He is ready to become a Stanley Cup contender in the next few years, while Gordon and JD more so wanted to take their time with it, let the process go through, let things settle in, and just take their time. But Dolan wasn't a fan of that, and he said, see you later. So that's where we're at now, Ron. <laughs> yeah, well, Molly, when I think about it, because I'm a friend of JD's, I've been around JD since 1977. When you think of JD, he's been part of the family for a long time. I believe his first season was 73 or 74. Beloved guy. He took us to the Stanley Cup Finals and then did television for the longest time. Very likable guy. So for Jim Dolan, and this is where we're going to be able to get into it a little bit deeper when we talk to Larry, he must have been really, really upset really angry to fire JD because he's so beloved. Now, having said that, you can talk about the direction of the team. And I would not argue, but I would say that uh, for the most part, I like what how the team was moving forward with the skilled players. I like Coach Quinn, but still might maybe, and this is where I'm going to ask Larry, something got exposed in Washington where your star player, Panarin, is being dragged around by Wilson like a rag doll. You wonder, is that the main issue or the big issue that this team, as I called them, a little too soft, was that the main issue for Dolan? It wasn't even Washington, just Washington. It was also the Islander games. The last three Islander games, they were outscored 13-1. to 1. It was night and day. I talked about it on the show last week. That is a postseason-ready team, and it just showed how far off this Rangers team is from becoming a competitive Stanley Cup contender in the East in particular. So between what happened with the Islanders and between what happened with Washington, I believe it just expedited Jim Dolan's decision to move on from J.D. and Gordon. And I can tell you, in talking to the players after the game, um, the second game against Washington – they were shocked. They too themselves were, were were pretty surprised. David Quinn said the word surprised. And I know Ryan Strom was talking about how he woke up from his pregame nap only to find out that they had new management going forward. So um, it was, it definitely took everybody by surprise, but you know, Jim Dolan just really flexed his muscles and, and showed that he's he's the one in charge. He's the one calling the shots. And and here we are. And, and Chris Jury is, is now at the helm in both roles. And you can expect him to stay there going forward, which is also it's a lofty job for for Chris Jury. He has moved his way up through the organization. He was head of player development in his first year with the team, obviously not counting the fact that he played on the team and was a captain. But yes, he is now in charge of the whole show, for lack of better words. Well, two things to discuss other than what we just talked about is the NHL, uh, George Paros, to why they didn't suspend him going into this game. Uh, my question is, did he purposely do it this way? Because he's he was part of the the enforcer that uh, knew that teams needed to enforce situations themselves. So did he allow this or did he just make a mistake? Something to be talked about today. And also Coach Quinn. Is Coach Quinn safe in his position moving forward? So all this, I think I look forward to talking to Larry 
into Nick Fatio coming up. You know, I'm happy that you brought up the whole thing with George Peros because that also doesn't directly tie into what happened with JD and Gorton. But word is that JD and Gorton were not on board with the scathing statement that the Rangers released that called for Peros's job and said he was unfit and called Tom Wilson's actions and act of violence, which was, you know, the verbiage in that statement was just took everybody by surprise, I think. So word is that Gordon and JD were not on board with that. And they did try to distance themselves from it, but it did not directly lead to their dismissal. So I know there's a lot of conflicting reports going around that it was directly because there was a miscommunication that JD and Gordon had no idea was being written, which very much so could be true, but it wasn't, that whole thing was not the exact reason why they were let go because this has been something that Dolan had been mulling over for some time and it had to do more so with the development of the team. But I definitely don't think it helped the situation. Clearly, there was just a disconnect in the front office altogether. And then to your point about Quinn, that'll be up to Chris Jury, who has been He has come off as a big fan of David Quinn. That being said, the fact that obviously Dolan is the one calling the shots here, he very much so could be on the chopping block and will not even get a chance to work under Chris Jury going forward. But if Chris Jury, you know, clearly Dolan has put a lot of trust in Jury and Jury has proven that he's capable of taking, you know, charge of the helm, basically. I think that he'll maybe want to give Quinn one more shot to see if they can make the postseason. And and that'll be the real, you know, granted that making the playoffs was an, a, a, a goal this season. It is going to be a requirement next season if that is the vibe that Jim Dolan is giving off to the organization right now. But Molly, it feels like, and, and Jim James Dolan, let's be real, he's got, you know, a monster ego. He he is a guy who makes his, you know, the fans do not like him. He, he makes his, his voice felt in the organization, obviously. But don't you want a fresh start? I mean, at this point, if you're going with a new GM, a new president, doesn't that align with going with a new coach? Granted that Chris Jury is kind of not new, I think I would say Um, he's just kind of stepping into a more prominent role than he ever has before during his time with the organization. And like I said, that he's come off as a David Quinn fan. They've been friendly and connected for quite some time throughout their hockey careers. You know, it really could go either way that they do really want a fresh start. And if they do, I think Dolan will be the one spearheading that and kind of driving that home. But if he stays, I think Drury probably stuck his neck out for David Quinn and just to give him one more shot because, you know, given how the team is made up right now, unless they make some serious off season alterations and additions, they're not going to contend for the Stanley cup next season. No way. Like they're just, they're not there yet. They didn't even make the postseason this year. You think that they're going to go right from not making the postseason to being in the Stanley cups? Absolutely not. So I think that uh, we'll see what happens with Quinn. Ron Quinn or no Quinn next season. Well, we're going to find out whether his hands were tied on the type of players that he wanted. That we're going to find out pretty quick. Well, I wouldn't say pretty quick. It's going to be through the course of the summer. Because when you look at Washington, 
That team is built to win the Stanley Cup. And what is it that Washington has that the Rangers don't have? Well, Washington, if you want to mix it up against that team, they got at least five, six guys that will mix it up with you. And if anybody is out there running around, they'll take care of business. And, of course, they got a basket. they got guys that can score goals. The goaltending has been decent. But when you size yourself up, match yourself up against the better teams in the NHL, what's missing? And so either Quinn is on board with getting those type of players, or he isn't. If he isn't, if he keeps going down this path, that's where I think that uh, there may be an issue with possibly going with a different coach. And uh, because I've seen this before. why? Where have I seen it? Herb Brooks coming to New York, college coach coming to New York, playing a certain game. He made her team smaller, not as tough, and a little more skilled, but it changed. It changed the whole team, and he wasn't able to win. And so Quinn comes in, college coach, uh, game is played differently at the college level. So either he's going to figure it out, understand now that, because I think it was a wake-up call to the Rangers after what happened in Washington, possibly a little bit with uh, the Islanders. They need different types of players that can play the game, but are going to grind it out a little bit deeper, go a little bit harder. And guys, uh, one man who's lobbying for the job. I mean, let the bodies get cold. I mean, wait, wait, 24 hours, Mark Messier. It took him about three minutes to go on the Michael K show. I mean, it's almost like he knew the firing was happening. And Michael K is like, hey, you ready for a 3.30 time slot on ESPN Radio? He goes on ESPN Radio. He drops the bullets, fires the guns like, like he's in a, in a James Bond movie or something and says... Uh, I've made it very clear that I've been standing by, ready to help out in any way for many years. I don't really know what else to say. And he said on how the Rangers are currently built, and these tweets provided by the great Molly Walker, in my opinion, if you're going to win, you got to be able to win in the street and in the alley. I particularly would not have built the team that didn't have, have answers in this regard. Wowzers, in the streets and in the alley. It's like West Side Story, Molly. That was the kicker for me. I turned it on my TV. Obviously, granted all the you know news that happened, I was like, oh my God, Mark Messier is speaking. He is 1,000% going to be asked about this. And who knows? At that point, it wasn't clear if Chris Jury was interim or if he was permanent going forward. So I was like, oh my gosh, what if they brought in Mark Messier to be president maybe to Chris Jury's GM? Like that's a total possibility, a total tandem that I think that maybe even Dolan would be a fan of. And Mark Messier has been up for a coaching job with the Rangers too. Back in 2013, he wanted the job before Vigneault. So I was very anxious to hear what he had to say. And I had to pick my job off the floor. He did not hold back. And that last quote that you just read particularly would not have built the team this way, basically. It just shots fired at Gordon and JD, just really threw him under the bus. Just, it was, like you said, blood wasn't even cold yet. <laughs> yeah, and to add to that, when you when you ask Meskid, do you think you can coach in the NHL? Can you, can you coach the Rangers? And he says, absolutely, 100, 1,000%. I can yeah, coach. Yeah, 100, no, 1,000%. <laughs> yeah, why? Because he knows, he knows the game. I would love to see Messier behind the bench because a lot of it has to do when you're a head coach, you're a head coach, but a lot of it has to do with your assistant coaches. So things that mess may be lacking in, maybe preparation, maybe some teaching, some one-on-one -on -one during practice, you can hire those guys. But when it comes to running the team and knowing the type of players you need to win a Stanley Cup, 
who better than Messier? After listening to him, first of all, there was just a glaring difference in philosophies than someone like David Quinn. Just the things that he was saying are just things that Quinn has talked almost the complete opposite about. Quinn has talked about playing to their strengths and using their assets and 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 all that kind of stuff because they are a team of skill, finesse kind of players, especially right now. But I just think Mark, if Mark Messier were to come in, he would want to make a lot of alterations to that lineup. He clearly feels that, like many people have said, this Rangers team is a little bit too soft, maybe a lot of it too soft. So he... Just you got to win in the streets and the alley, according to Mark. Want to be a New York Ranger next season? We'll see you on 33rd and 7th outside in the streets. If you can't win there, (laughs) you won't be on the ice. So the alleyway, it's all going down. You must be able to fight or you will not be a Ranger. That was really a a heck of a statement. And we'll see. That would be pretty cool, though. You got to, I mean, Rangers fans, that's, that's kind of a move that excites fans always. Like if the Mets were to have David Wright become their manager, fans would buy tickets immediately. If Mark Messier becomes the Rangers head coach, fans are going to show up to, to the arena for that fact alone. So that's, you know, that's a move that excites the fans. It's not always the best decision, um, but it seems like Mark, Mark Messier is going to be employed in some way uh, with the Rangers, it seems like. And, and he's, he's texting James Dolan. Uh, he hit James Dolan with the you up text at, uh, at 1 a.m. last <laughs> night after the game. And uh, we'll see if he responds. Larry Brooks broke this story, and Larry Brooks is going to join us next here on Up in the Blue Seas. Joining us next is our New York Post Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer, Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the post and at nypost.com. Thursday in the paper, we have four pages of coverage of the firings of JD and and Jeff Gorton. So go ahead and, and check those out. Larry, we briefly discussed it in the beginning of the show how there was a disconnect between the Davidson-Gorton tandem and Dolan regarding where the rebuild is currently at and going forward. What were you hearing on that? I was told that Dolan, I think he wanted to push the process along maybe a little bit quicker than J.D. and and, uh, Jeff did. I don't don't think there is a disconnect on the propriety of a rebuild. I, I, I think, you know, a rebuild can be, interpreted in so many ways how deep are you into it where are you i think i think there's been overemphasis on you know are they ahead of schedule are they behind schedule i i think he looked at the product and and i'm sure he had many discussions with uh, john davidson and i'm talking about jim dolan now and was not satisfied about what the next step was going to be I, i don't think this is as much about what has happened as what the parties envision coming next. And, and that's where I think the breakdown was. I was surprised that the owner didn't give this management team this summer because this is the summer they're going to have some cap space. But if their, if their visions diverged, then there was a need for action and, and it was taken. And, and, you know, they stayed in house with Chris Drury, who has been part of this rebuild as well. It's not as if, the Rangers went outside the organization and brought in someone who is known for taking shortcuts and is going to be a win-at-all-costs person next year and is going to trade Kako for a 32-year-old uh, defenseman. So I think there are more subtleties involved here 
than um, I think it's more fine strokes than broad strokes, actually. You had reported that this was something Dolan was mulling over for quite some time. Do you have any idea, even approximately, when those thoughts started and, and I guess what expedited them too? I don't. However, I, I it's my information that the first Islander game or, you know, the one, uh, the six-one game in which Truba was hurt. You know, the first of the last three was alarmed, alarmed him, and I think it should have been. I mean, it alarmed me as, as you know, as someone who watched the Rangers. Um, and I think it alarmed a lot of people. It did, and and I think, I think the Rangers' lack of pushback against the Islanders and. In the first game, and then, and then the game last Thursday at, at the Garden was alarming. But I, I think the process probably had begun before then. I, I, um, I don't think this is something you do in a, in a one or two week period. Um, I, I imagine no discussions for a while. But I do think that the Islander game, uh, the first Islander game, and then, and then the way the Rangers in the second one were kind of were triggers for this i was actually thinking before it's amazing that it's just a week ago that the rangers actually had a shot <laughs> they were you know they were five points behind the islanders they had two games coming up against the islanders and i, I it was just such a it, it seems like it was years ago that this happened so uh the islander games i think were just yielded reflections that were not that, that were not very complimentary i think what you're referring to is the character of the team not responding not having certain type of players that can respond moving forward. So when you're thinking who takes responsibility for the makeup of the team, do you think it was just Jeff and JD or is this some have to do, does it land on coach Quinn also with the type of players that he wants? No, I think team is put together by management and the coach coaches the team he's given. I would like to see David Quinn coach a team that has more traditional north-south guys on it, more more guys who are going to go to the net, you know, more grit guys, because um, so I think that's the kind of team he really wants to coach. However, you know, I'm saying that, I don't think any coach turns away from the opportunity to, co- to, to be behind the bench when Artemi Panarin you know, is in front of him or Mika Zibanejad is in front of him. So I think he's just fine with, you know, with his stars. I think everyone understands that they need to diversify. And I think that's that's really been the issue with this is that they have collected so many. And we've talked about this every week. You know, there are a lot of promising pieces, but they're kind of all the same. You know, they play kind of the same way. They they have many of the same skill set and they, you know, they lack the grit guys or, you know, meaningful grit guys in numbers who can change a game. And, and, I, and I think they're, you know, they're, they're too one dimensional. Again, whether the whether management was going to get to it this summer, that's entirely possible. Um, because again, I know they had cap cap issues last summer. It was it was bad. There wasn't a lot they could do, but they didn't do anything really to address the toughness issue. They really didn't, and that was an alarming factor. I think that was probably something that that Jim Dolan took a look at and said, "This is this is not the kind. This you know, I I, I don't agree with this." And and again, and, until we actually know the discussions, which you probably never quite will, you know, we're all left to with our own interpretation of what happened. So, but I, but I do think that, that uh, it was a mistake to go into this season the way they did. And what I don't understand is the lack of response from management to last year's Carolina series, because in the aftermath of the Carolina series, everyone agreed that they need to toughen up, that they, they needed to be harder to play against. They needed 
They needed to diversify, and they just didn't. And they let it ride the entire season, and I think it was unfortunate because I disagree with people who think that the Rangers overachieved this year. I think they achieved. I mean, I, you know, I think there was clearly progress in the defensive end of it. They were a better team away from the puck. They were a more disciplined team, better penalty-killing team. All those areas that, you know, they improved. But I don't think, you know, their their goal differential is just off the charts until the last week. Uh, you know, all of their underlying stats were very good, but they just didn't have the wherewithal to take that to the next level. And I think when you look at their numbers, you can say that they underachieved in a sense. The whole was, was less than the sum of the parts. And, and that's something you never want to say about a team. Well, Larry, I, I have to agree with you. Like you said, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about the Rangers have still have an opportunity to make the playoffs in a tough division within four points. We would see games where they play Boston, Washington, where they really competed and played hard and won some big games, Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh to that. So they weren't that far off. So, you know, we don't want to be throwing Coach Quinn under the bus. It's just that this one big thing, the elephant in the room that we keep talking about was never addressed. I guess moving forward, that remains to be seen how it's going to get addressed. But let's get back because we got to talk about last night's game uh, where the Rangers decided to do what they did, which was uh, start the game with a line bro. When you think of line brawls and you look at last night's game, did that make any sense to you that players are fighting each other that really had nothing to do with the incident? It was just, I guess, sending a, say, a statement? Does any line brawl really make sense? Does, it, does any fight that happens one second in a game make sense? I mean, does, does appointment fighting make sense? No, I mean, <laughs> none of it makes sense. But I think the Rangers did honestly what they needed to do last night. I, I actually kind of chuckle, and, 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 and Ronnie, you, <laughs> you're more of a part of it than I was. But I, I, I was chuckling. I was, I was guffawing, actually, when people last night responded to the fights in the game by saying, oh, we're back in the 1970s. I mean, if, if anyone thinks that last night was the 1970s, they never saw the 1970s in hockey. I mean, last night was as tame as, as it could get. I mean, you know, there were a few fights, and, and you know, the, then the, uh, once the fighting was done, they were kind of over, except for Kuznevich's ridiculous high stick that probably get him suspended. You know, I, I, I think they were protecting their logo. I think they were standing up the only way they could for Panarin. I think also that they probably were incensed and tired and just sick and tired of, of hearing over the last 48 hours that they're soft and they're not built, you know, they're not built properly and they, they can't protect one another. So I, I think all of that went into it. And I, I think it was fine. I, I, I would just as soon have seen some of that fight a couple of weeks ago at the Coliseum. Um, but I, I understand why they were proud of themselves last night. I, I think you give them that. I do. I, I think, that, and, and I listen, I think, I think that Ryan Strom taking on Lars Eller was symbolic. Strom had been clear about what he thought about the league's decision not to suspend Wilson. He used some strong language about him. Eller then said, well, we're ready for anything. Bring it on, basically, in, in so many words. And, and Strom went for him. And, and I thought I appreciated that from Ryan Strom. And, of course, I think everyone on the team appreciated Brendan Smith 
being willing uh, to be the guy to take on Tom Wilson. Larry, do you think the NHL is pleased with themselves and how they allowed this to go down? And you also had some reports about head of player safety, George Paros, who the Rangers obviously called for his job. And you had said he was going to be in the building and then he canceled his trip. So what was the latest on that front as well? Well, I didn't really understand why George Paros suddenly was going to show up at the garden. was you know, his presence was going to loom over this game. I mean, it did actually. Or his presence, the Department of Player Safety, is the league was the league pleased about last night. I think they look at it as just part of hockey. I, I honestly do. I think they look at it as part of hockey, and I, and I think there are a lot of people associated with with the game who look at it the same way. I do. I, you know, again, on, on, other than Buknevich's high stick, nobody got hurt last night. It was, it was. You know, it was it was kind of burlesque for a little while. Um, you knew, you pretty much knew what was going to happen. All the people decrying it as disgraceful. They were watching. <laughs> you know, they were watching. Did they, did they turn it off? I don't know. Maybe some people did. I, I, you know, again, may, maybe because I saw, you know, I, you know, I grew up in, 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 you know, the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, you know, and I, I look at last night and, and think of it as, as pretty tame, <laughs> to, to tell you the truth. So I, I, I don't think the league, I, I think what needs to happen is, is, you know, a discussion about supplementary discipline. And I think the Players Association is going to need to drive this discussion. They have yet to do it in you know in in decades are they going to do it this summer because of tom wilson probably not um so i I, you know i i think all parties are responsible for it players association the league but i i i didn't find last night to be you know to be you know one of the great disgraces I've, i've ever seen in my life it was kind of all right let's get on with it let's play well larry it's been an eventful 24 hours get some rest and we'll finish out this season thanks for the time we'll wrap up the year up next week thanks molly thanks dudes we love having timely guests on this show So given how things went down with Tom Wilson on Monday and the now even more glaring need for the Rangers to bring some muscle into the lineup, we're going to talk to one of the most memorable enforcers the Rangers have ever had and one of the most beloved too. Please welcome Nick Fittiu. I just wanted to let you know personally, I'm 24 years old. You know, I've only been on the job for almost two years now, but my mom, everybody listening knows that she is a huge Rangers fan, went to a million games when she was a teenager, and she used to have a stack of pucks that she caught specifically from you. And she told me last night before we were going to record to tell you how much she appreciated you and that you always used to point at her and throw her a puck. So from her to me to you, thank you for that. And Ron was actually just saying that that was something you always used to do, right, Ron? (laughs) Yeah, and just so you know, Nick, she liked you, but I was her favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a competition here. (laughs) So getting into it, the very reason we're having you on today is to ask you about the Tom Wilson debacle. Rangers drop the gloves, line brawl, making up for the league's lack of discipline for Tom Wilson. I am just curious to hear your overall thoughts on the entire situation from Monday to the other night. What did you see? 
And what did you think about the Rangers' response? Well, the Rangers' response to the guys that went out last night and, and dropped the gloves, you know, you got to be proud of them because none of them really knew how to fight. But they were just proving a point that I'm wearing a Ranger jersey and just don't happen. But on another thing, if you know, when you develop players, you know, you have to have a tough player, tough players. You have to have a couple so these kids can get room, and especially in the National Hockey League. You know what? Herb Brooks always said history repeats itself, and it did. I could remember in the stands when I was a kid, I said, when I play for the Rangers, the Rangers won't get pushed around anymore because I, I was tired of seeing Boston coming in, Philly coming in. And, you know, like, look what Schultz did to Ralph and, uh, years ago, and look what Wilson did to Panera. I mean, that, this stuff didn't happen when I played for the Rangers, you know, because I protected my players. And you know what? I, it was a disgrace just to see players coming up to the Ranger bench and, and antagonizing the Ranger players. They never did that when I played because nobody would. I mean, Madison Square Garden, you're going to do that in Madison Square Garden? No way. No way. Not when I'm on the bench. But I, I thought it was a disgrace. A, a tough player picking on Panera. But I would have jumped over the boards there and went right after Wilson. You know, he's not tough. Oh, whatever. You got me worked up now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nick, you watch a lot of games. You know this team. You also know J.D. You've been around J.D. for a long time. Are you surprised that J.D. didn't understand what you're talking about? you got to have balance on your team. J.D. is no longer part of the organization. Do you think it's justified for Jim Dolan to get rid of a very likable J.D.? Uh, you know what? I don't know the situation, what happened. Things happen behind the scenes. You know, uh, They were doing the best possible job they could that they believed in like you know so sometimes things happen i don't know i wasn't there but i speaking about this this situation you need a tough players and especially i in today's game it's still a game of intimidation and you know they should have been you know developing physical players to play in the lineup to protect these players because you're developing them and you want to give them more room look when we played ronnie how much room we used to get out there I mean, it, it, you make your players comfortable, and then they weren't comfortable. Because you did a lot of – you spent a lot of time coaching. You're very much – you know the analytics, and you know plays. You know set plays. You know preparation, good practicing. When you think – when you look at what Coach Quinn has done to this young team, forget about the fact that, you know, they could be a little tougher – would you say that you're pleased with some of the things you've seen out of this team? Because they've made progress. You know, they were like four points out of making the playoffs in a tough division. So when you think of Coach Quinn, do you think that he's overall done a good job? Yeah, I think he's done a good job. I mean, of course. I mean, he's dealt with a lot of young players. And, uh, you know, it's time. Everything is time. You you know, I can remember coaching Jonathan Chichu. You know, he spent three years in the minors before he came up and you know, into the National Hockey League and scored 70, no, 56 goals. I mean, you need, players need time to develop. And I think he's done a great job, you know, in, in my opinion, anyway, you know, what's my opinion, but, you know, I, I watch the games all the time, you know, I um, I think the systems could get a little better and they'll be fine. Nick, I have to ask you, because I know you watch every player and you analyze most of all the players on the Ranger team. You and I were talking yesterday, Keandre Miller, big kid, 6'6", six, six, can see he's got a lot of skill, good skater. Is there something in this game that you'd be helping him with, with what you're seeing, the way he's playing? Yeah, I would be helping him with, in, in his own end with uh, 
one hand on the stick when he's uh, defending a player, not two hands on the stick. I, I watch him, you know, especially Fox, too, you know, like last night on that goal that was scored. Uh, Ochi, Ochi scored. Ochi scored. He had two hands on his stick, and you, you can't you, you can't maneuver with two hands on a stick. But I would help him uh, in his physical game, not that's Miller's physical game, because he has to be more physical. When you're six four, two hundred and I don't know, 13 pounds. You got to be a little more physical than what you are. So that's what I would help him with. So, so Nick, so you can tell that he doesn't quite, cause he he's, he's played college hockey and the game's a little bit different. How do you get into a player's mind? That's not physical enough. It's just telling them you got to get more physical or do you get a, is it a mindset to get a player prepared to be tougher on the ice? No, I grab him and say, Hey, listen, you know, once in a while, you got to drop the gloves. I mean, you're a big kid. You know, guys are looking you right in the eye and teach them. Teach them how to fight. Teach them to protect themselves. You know, I mean, uh, I've taught players, you know, good players, goal scorers, to, to how to protect themselves, how to fight a little. Because once you see one one guy teaching one guy, he the other guy wants to learn. It's like a snowball effect. That's what you have to do. I mean, you got to spend time. you got to spend time in, with these players. I mean, it's not only, you know, coming to the rink and practice. You know, there's a lot of time involved. No, I mean, you know, when you, you develop 60 players in eight years, it's a lot of there's a lot of time you spend with them. And, you know, and I was accused of spending too much time with the players. But if you're going to develop, you got to spend time with the players, just like a racehorse. Like, you want your horse to run well, you got to spend time and, you know, coddle them and, and teach them or else they'll never learn. One of the disconnects between the Gorton-Davidson tandem and Dolan was how the team is constructed. And it was pretty glaring against the Islanders and the Capitals recently. You touched on it a little bit, but do you think that's really the last piece of the puzzle for this team is is beefing up a bit and bringing in some physical players? I think so, because you know what? This, this team could score goals. We've obviously seen it. Right. But are they comfortable? Like last night I was watching uh, Zabanachek. I could look at his face and, 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 and see that he was nervous. He was afraid. Like, you know what I'm saying? But that's normal. That's how, you know, I played with Joey Mullen. Joey Mullen scored 40 goals. Nobody would go near Joey. If anything, anybody hit Joey Mullen, I'd be right over there. You know, and I was with Calgary, you know, so with the Rangers. I mean, I could remember Freddie Shiro when he signed, uh, when the Rangers, we went back to play in Philly. He's coached there for for years, won the Stanley Cup. Everybody was on Freddie. After the game, he came up to me and said, you know what? Thank you, because you won this game for us. So, you know, I don't care how tough the other players are. When you stand up and you're tough and beat them, uh-oh, they go, oh, now now we can't intimidate. So the game's a game of intimidation. Football, anything you play, players are out there to intimidate. Well, thanks so much for the time, Nick. Your insight has been incredibly helpful. We'll get you on the show again next season for sure. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Ladies and gentlemen. That's a wrap for episode 55 the Ryan Lindgren edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Do us a solid and give us a five-star rating and write in a review on Apple Podcasts. We sincerely appreciate it. For number 10, Ron Duguay, I'm Molly Walker. We are back again next week with our season finale episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening to Up in the Blue Seats.